I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, there was a good old hockey game at the downtown community arena today. Now, granted, it was... An Edmonton Oilers scrimmage, but there was some action. Man, I was getting messages from people. Is it on TV? Can we listen to it? Is it being streamed? Well, I'll tell you what. If, if you go to the Oilers' Twitter account, there's a great highlight package put together of everything from the game. It was actually a pretty well-played game, I thought, for a scrimmage. They did three 15-minute stop time periods. Uh, it was kind of interesting. McDavid and Dreisaitl were on the same team, but their team only had three forward lines. They were on the white team. The blue team had a, a full roster, four forward lines, six defensemen, and a couple of goaltenders. Koskinen and Forsberg were the goalies on one team. Smith and Skinner, the goalies on uh, the other team. Koskinen and Smith each got the first two periods, and then Forsberg and Skinner came in. So I want to take you through some of my impressions of the scrimmage, and we'll focus on a couple of players in particular as we go along tonight. I'm happy to hear from you, of course. 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S, and the email is InsideSports at 630Ched.com. Okay. So, first of all, the the uh, the final score in the game was 3-2 for Team White. That was McDavid and Dreisaitl's team. It did go to overtime. As we went to overtime, I quickly pulled the fellow media hacks sitting around me, Jack Michaels, Louis DeBrusque, and Mark Spector. And this is this is I this is rare. Perhaps we should note this. Maybe this is a new leaf for me in 2020 or a new foundability. I actually got a prediction correct, though it was just a coin flip. I said to Louis Jack and Mark Spector, does the three-on-three overtime last longer than a minute? And they all said it would, and I said it wouldn't. And Connor McDavid scored 38 seconds into the overtime, as uh, you would probably expect, set up by Leon Dreisaitl, who kind of feathered a nice pass in front. McDavid got it, broke in, and scored. So, and, and the in the three-on-three unit that was out in overtime was Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Tyson Berry, which I don't think will surprise anybody. Berry jumps right into the spot that Clefbaum often had when they went to three-on-three. The very first goal of the game, and if you watch the highlights, uh, you know, first of all, uh, good for Seth Griffith for, for scoring a goal in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the game. I mean, this is a guy, he's going to be, he, he's, he's be a minor league player, most likely. He's on a two-year, two-way contract with the Oilers. He signed back in October. He's only played 79 NHL games. You know, he's an extreme depth forward, but he made a nice shot. He got the pass in front. He shot up high on Miko Koskinen. Yes, it went over the glove, and I know you're going to ring in with sarcastic comments about that. I, I, Koskinen had that really, really bad run 
on the glove side in the last third of the season in 2019. I, I didn't think it was a huge problem for him last year. I do get the frustration and agree with the frustration that when a goalie that size, who's six foot seven, gets beat up high as often as he does, it's a, a little bit frustrating. I have had a couple of former NHL goaltenders say to me about Koskinen, big goalies who make themselves small is uh, a, a bad habit that sometimes creeps into Koskinen's game. But anyway, the, you know, Koskinen only, did only allow the one goal in the scrimmage. So, I, but I want you to pay close attention to the pass that set up the goal by Seth Griffith because it was made by Dominic Cahoon, who uh, had to spend a couple extra days in quarantine, got out on the ice today, wanted to play in the, in the scrimmage. He was with depth guys. You know, Cahoon was playing with Devin Shore, who skated yesterday and, and was in the scrimmage today, and with Griffith. I, you know, I would think Cahoon's going to be in the Oilers' top nine as we move along here. He was kind of on a, you know, see, I get, he was basically on the seventh line today out of seven. But he made a really nice pass, and, and we're going to talk about him a little bit later on. But as you watch that footage of Cahoon, note the pass, note the vision on the pass, Note the pace on the pass. He saw an opportunity to get Griffith the puck. He took it. He didn't hesitate. It's a one-touch pa- one pass. The puck was along the boards. He got to it, fired it across, about two-thirds the width of the ice, right to Griffith, who made a really nice shot. So hopefully that's the type of vision and playmaking that Cahoon can bring to the team. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Brian wants to chime in already tonight. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, Reed, uh, when we were doing this poll on the name for the Edmonton Eskimos, did the name Edge ever come up? I, I don't know, Brian, and dude, no offense, buddy, but we're, we're, we'll talk more about that yeah. when it's closer yeah. to being picked, okay? I'll get out of your hair. <laughs> okay, no, you're not in my hair. That's okay. I think we're just going to roll with training camp stuff tonight, though. I do appreciate that, Brian. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. So, and we'll talk more about Cahoon later on because I have, I have some really interesting tippet comments, but note that goal. Second period was scoreless. In the third period, there was actually, there was a penalty call in this game. There were two officials on the ice who were both linesing and refing. Um, I wondered if they were going to call a penalty. There was a, uh, a net drive by McDavid in the first period where I, I thought he got held and it wasn't called. And Mike Smith uh, blatantly played the puck in the no zone in the corner. There was a high dump in and he skated out and caught it like an outfielder and he's, he's standing outside the trapezoid. That wasn't called. So there was a penalty called in the third period. Uh, I'm not going to BS you guys. If I saw, if you saw some of my tweets this morning and a couple of videos I put out, um, it wasn't the best angle, so the penalty occurred down in the in the corner of the far end of the ice. So I didn't quite see what happened. But there was a penalty called. So the power play came out. So it was Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Barry, and Yamamoto. Now, remember, Alex Chason was on the other team. So maybe he's going to be the net front guy. Uh, but they did put Yamamoto on for this circumstance. James Neal hasn't skated. By the way, we don't know when he's going to be back on the ice. Uh, Dave Tippett said he and Gaetan Haas not back in the short term. So they so the big guys go out on the power play and had a couple of okay chances, didn't score. So then for the next group up, they, they just put out the next line that, that was in the rotation. And that line was Joachim Nygaard, Brian McLeod, and Patrick Russell, and they scored shortly after the power play expired. It wasn't quite a power play goal. There was a shot from the blue line, and it kind of got deflected and slowed down in front. 
and dribbled through. It was actually Bouchard that took the shot, and it trickled to Nygaard at the side of the net, and he was right there to pop it in, and that tied the game. And I, I have to say this, and I, I know it's a scrimmage, and you don't want to read too much into things. That, that I thought that line of Nygaard, McLeod, and Patrick Russell played quite well. They were in on the forecheck. They kept pucks alive. We've seen Patrick Russell as an oiler for the last couple of years. We know who he is. He's reliable. He'll he'll work. He doesn't have a ton of offensive ability and finish. Nygaard, we saw in limited spurts before he got injured. We know he can skate. I think he needs to finish more if he's going to be a regular on this team. And I referenced this earlier in the week. Ryan McLeod continues to intrigue me. He he is a fast player. He he gets the pucks. He has decent puck skills, and I looking at him, he was drafted 40th overall in 2018, played for uh, Bakersfield last year, modest numbers, 23 points in 56 games. He was playing in Switzerland. He was loaned to, loaned to a Swiss team during the pandemic year, and he had 11 points in 15 games. Again, I don't know if he's on the team this year, but he turned 21 in September, a 2018 draft pick, He's got to be getting close. And, and I wonder if he's ultimately another player who, along with perhaps Devin Shore, you know, pressures Jujar Kara and maybe Gaetan Haas to, to play on that fourth line. Whenever I've seen McLeod in camp, and I know camp is removed from what actually happens in the regular season, but I, I'm impressed. He just he seems to have some speed, and he seems to be around the puck and involved in the play when he's playing. So something to file away about Ryan McLeod. I, I, again, I don't know if he's going to stick this year. The Oilers have a lot of forwards, and they have forwards with more experience. Then, uh, then McDavid scored a goal right after that. So Team Blues down a goal. They pull their goaltender, and I know this is going to make some of you so happy to hear this. Yessi Puliyarvi scored the game-tying goal with his team's goalie on the bench with a minute 11 to go for Puliyarvi, really for that line, along with Terrace and Archibald, I would say a relatively quiet game, not, uh, not much getting done in the offensive end, but I didn't think they were re- a, a liability in their own end. And Puliyarvi, the goal just kind of hovering away from the fray with a lot of players in front of the net and the puck comes out to him and he swooped on top of it and gave it a quick shot at Forsberg, couldn't handle it, and it goes in off Forsberg, and Pugliarvi gets the tying goal. So, hey, good for Pugliarvi. Again, not a spectacular game. That was a big plus to score, but I wouldn't put a lot of negatives in his in his column either for the game. So there you go. Just a quick recap of what went down, and, and I touched on the overtime winner. Dave Tippett, head coach of the team, on today's scrimmage. You know, the guys have worked pretty hard here for three straight days. We wanted to get in a scrimmage. We've... we've touched on a lot of parts of our game and we wanted to see if we get out there and uh and start executing some of them so it was uh i thought it was good pace i saw some good things there's obviously some things that are still uh you know we got to improve on but uh but not bad for the first scrimmage all right now i want to circle back to dominic cahoon I, i i made the the reference on the pass he made to uh to set up seth griffith's goal in the first period and it was a nice play, and Cahoon hadn't hadn't been on the ice. First of all, Timmit uh, Tippett commented on Cahoon being on the ice today. Yeah, he skated for a couple of days on his own, and then he decided he wanted to jump into the scrimmage. So I give him credit for that, um, you know. But we we put him on the group that had four lines, just not to overextend him that much. So a uh, good start for him. We'll see where he gets tomorrow. But he, he's certainly an interesting player. He's got great skill, great skill, great vision. So uh, we'll see where things go with him.
Yeah, so a little bit there, and then Tippett expanded on that a little bit when he was asked what Cahoon can bring to the team. Well, he adds skill to our group, and he, you know, he obviously has a relationship with Leon. Um, I've watched him for for the last couple of years. I, I, I like what he does. He's a smaller guy, but he's competitive. He's got great vision, really good vision, and and the skill level is high. So, um, you know, we were looking to add depth at, at some skill positions, and uh, he happened to, uh, you know, it was a good signing for us, good signing, and he'll, hopefully he'll come in and, and we'll see where things go with him. we got to find the right fit for him, but uh, he looks like he can be a good player for us. I really want to keep an eye on Cahoon, and I was disappointed when he wasn't on the ice at the start of training camp. Tyson Berry, Kyle Turris, another, you know, they're, they're key additions to the Oilers. Several new guys to keep an eye on. I feel like with Berry and Turris, though, I'm, I'm fairly confident about what we're going to get from those players. Cahoon, I just find him really interesting. And really his, his journey as a whole, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, he's going to tell part of his story. He's, you know, he's, he's 25 years old. He's not, he's not a huge guy, 5'11", about 175 pounds. He's been in the NHL the last two years. As a rookie with Chicago in 18-19, he plays all 82 games. He gets 37 points, 13 goals. Respectable numbers. He gets traded to the Penguins for Olimata, and then he gets traded to Buffalo for a couple of players last February. He wound up playing 56 games last year and got 31 points. For his NHL career, he's he's got 138 games and 68 points. So, you know, around half a point per game isn't bad in this day and age. And maybe he's not even going to be in the Oilers' top six, or maybe he's a guy who's in and out, third line, second line. I mean, obviously there's going to be shuffling as the year goes. And, and this, to me, this is, he's another indication of why I this on paper is a better Oilers team than we have seen in a long time. Quite frankly, on paper, and I know games aren't played on paper unless you're playing, you know, Stratomatic or something, but why on paper this is probably the best Oilers team since the one that went all the way to the Cup in 05-06. And I'm not saying that to plant any high expectations, but the, but when I was sitting here uh, in, the, in the fall of 2016, I didn't think that team was going to make the playoffs. And they did, but then as we found out the next year, a lot of players registered performances that they were not able to repeat. And a couple of words there that Dave Tippett used about Dominic Cahoon. He has skill and he has vision. And he's probably going to play, you know, maybe on the Oilers' third line. They, they certainly won't need him on the, on the first line. And he'll, you know, maybe he'll get some time with Leon. But we have not used the word skill and vision about a player who is around the middle or even lower half of the Oilers' forward depth chart, if you look at their top 13 or 14, for quite a while. And, and that's why I think that they should be better five-on-five. Five. I think they're going to be able to hang right in there in their Canadian division. Now, I'm not going so far to saying that they're, they're a Stanley Cup contender because I don't think anybody in the Canadian division is on a short list of Stanley Cup contenders. But a player like Cahoon is, is unique in, in what he can bring, and he is, he is the type of player that the Oilers have not been able to add for a long time, whether it's through trade free agency or somebody they developed. And now they have a few guys 
who kind of fit into this bin. And as we know, not every signing, not every trade is going to work out. But I think like what Ken Holland did last year, there are options if if a couple guys don't do what you're hoping they were doing. And maybe you look back to Granlin and Yurcho and players like that last year. There are other players who can fill the void. So that's why specifically I find Cahoon kind of interesting and why I think it bodes well for the Oilers forwards this season. Dominic Cahoon uh, was asked about his journey to the National Hockey League. Yeah, so I, uh, I went to Canada to play the, the OHL and obviously my goal was to get drafted and um, I didn't. Um, they were saying like that I'm too small for the league and everything. So yeah, I decided to go back home uh, to play in, in Germany and I still believed I can make it one day. So I just played there and I did my stuff and I did a pretty good job playing like for the national team and obviously with the Olympics, it, it helped me a lot. And yeah, but it was always my goal, obviously, to play one day in the NHL. All right, and now he's here, and he's going to play alongside uh, Leon Dreisaitl, who he's been a teammate with on the German national team a few times. And Cahoon, by the way, was remember that uh, kind of magical run by the German team in the Olympics in 2018? They got a silver medal. He was on that team, too, had five points in seven games. All right, you can reach out at 780-496-0063. Inside Sports on Chet. <laughs> a note for the double e football team today they have sound they have signed former cfl most outstanding lineman Derek dennis for a couple of years broke in with calgary in 2015 after some stints in the nfl he's played in 72 games over a five-year cfl career most of it with calgary he did spend a year with saskatchewan cfl's most outstanding lineman in 2016 three-time west division all-star in 16 18 and 19 and a great cup champ in 2018 Derek dennis uh pretty good well very good so far in his cfl career hopefully he continues that in green and gold and uh in about an hour here coming up between 7 30 and 8 you will meet new double e defensive back jonathan rose who has had quite uh an ordeal recovering from a neck slash uh, spinal problem over the last couple of years so he will tell that story all right uh, a few more notes here Coming up from Oilers training camp, I want to get into, because I've been mouthing off a lot that I think the power play can be up around 30% again. I will go deeper into that. You can call me crazy if you want. Well, you might call me crazy about other things, but I'll go into that. And I want to look a little bit as well at at, at realistically what the uh, cut line is going to be for the playoffs and the goal for first place in the... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. North Division in the National Hockey League. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet, back after the news. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Mike Smith did not allow a goal, played the first... Two 15-minute periods in net for his team 
at uh, today's scrimmage. I do not know the shots on goal for the game. And contrary to that scallywag, Jason Greger, I was not tasked with counting the shots on goal. So let's just clarify that. All right. 780-496-0063 if you want to get in touch. The Oilers will practice and scrimmage tomorrow. I believe they're going to go with that format we've seen in other camps where one of the scrimmage teams has a practice, then there's a scrimmage, and then the other team has a practice after that. Likely the same deal on Saturday. Sunday expected to be an off day for the Oilers. Practices Monday, Tuesday. My goodness, we got a game here on 6.30, Chet, on Wednesday. 6 o'clock face-off show. Puck will drop at 8 o'clock as the Oilers get it going right here on 6.30, Chet. Back-to-back games against the Canucks on Wednesday and Thursday. Okay, so I want to touch on some other things from uh, from training camp. Uh, kind of gave you a recap of the game. Told you a bit about Dominic Cahoon in the first half hour. Evan Bouchard playing on the back end. Uh, I, I, looking pretty comfortable. I, again, at today's scrimmage, I didn't really see anybody. And I know it's, okay, just a scrimmage, but it's all the information we have right now. I didn't really see anybody, uh, at least out of the you know, the, the players who are expected to be on the team or have a chance to be on the team. I didn't really see anybody where I thought, oh, my God, like this guy's completely overmatched. How is he going to help? So that was good. And Bouchard looking more comfortable, looking more solid. He was playing in Sweden during the pause. And uh, Dave Tippett commented on his impressions of Bouchard. You know, he's, he's in great shape and he's been playing. So you can tell that he's, uh, uh, he's you know, he's coming, he's a competent player, but... More than anything uh, with Bush is he's maturing as a person and as a player. And as, as that maturity process comes to fruition, he, he gets more comfortable. He gets more confident. And you, you saw that with Ethan Bear last year. You're going to see that more with Caleb Jones this year. And, and uh, Bush is just going, he's going through that process of becoming a good NHL player. And he's got lots of talent. He's got, he's got lots of desire. He's learning how to do things both on and off the ice, and he's going to be a good player. But you just have to you have to let those players go through the process to become a good player before you can actually call them a good player. So he's moving the right direction, and uh, you know every every time we seem to with the breaks we've had, every time we've seen him, he takes another step forward, which is a good sign. So um, you know he's he's close to being an NHL player. And he, He's looking for opportunity, and he's not hurting himself with what he's doing to try to get that opportunity. All right. So positive reviews for Bouchard, who commented on playing 23 games in Sweden. There was definitely things that uh, I was wanting to work on. You know, I got some feedback uh, last year, and I just wanted to bring those, uh, bring that feedback with me over to Sweden and get, uh, you know, work on it over there and then bring it back here and... Uh, you know, just play play the way I want to play over here and take what I learned from, from Sweden. Bouchard in Sweden had six goals, 17 points in 23 games. He has played seven games in the NHL. Remember back at the start of the 18-19 season with Todd McClellan as the head coach, he got into those seven games, had a goal, had a penalty, and it was minus five. A lot more promise on the back end for the Oilers than we've seen in a while as well. Bouchard had a good scrimmage. I thought Caleb Jones had a pretty good scrimmage. You know, McDavid tried to go one-on-one against him a few times. Jones did a pretty good job keeping him to the outside. Ethan Bear looked very good, especially in the offensive zone. 
And what I really noticed about Bear today, we we know that he can he can pick his spots and jump in. And there was a play in the first period where he he stepped into the slot and took a centering pass. Probably didn't get quite the shot away that he wanted, but he got into a good position to score. And we saw a little bit from this from Bear last year, and I thought it it was noticeable in the scrimmage today. His lateral movement along the blue line, and then able to snap a quick shot and get something on net and try to create something in front of the goal. And I thought Bear looked good doing that. So three younger defensemen, Jones, Bear, and Bouchard. Jones and Bear are clearly in the top six right now. Jones, I think, will have if if I just talk about Jones and Bear. Well, let's talk about the top six defensemen. So you have Chris Russell with Tyson Berry at the moment. You had Nurse with Bear, and you have Jones with Larson. Of those six, Jones is the player who's going to be asked, in my mind, to take on the... the he'll, he'll have the most of the more responsibility, if that makes sense. He'll, he'll have the biggest increase in what he's expected to do. I, I think Nurse will have some five-on-five five because Clefbaum's not on the roster, but Nurse won't have to play on the power play because that's going to be Tyson Berry. As we, we've seen in years past, when, when Darnell Nurse's minutes start getting more and more over 20, sometimes his play starts to decline a little bit, he won't have to take on those extra minutes on the power play. He will be asked to do more five-on-five. Five. Chris Russell is Chris Russell. I think we know what we're going to get at this point. Uh, He'll probably have to miss some games along the way. That's why Slater Cuckoo is there. I think we know what we're going to get from Slater Cuckoo. Caleb Jones will, will be asked to give a little more. There, there was a lot of good good stats about Jones last year in terms of puck possession when he was on the ice, in terms of shot differential when he was on the ice. He had some games that were really, really positive. He skates well. Uh, I think he's learned a lot over the last couple of years. It, it's funny with, with he and Bear, they were drafted just a few spots apart, and uh, they've kind of swapped positions over the last three years or so in terms of who was further along as a prospect. It was Bear, then it was Jones, then it was Bear last year, and now Jones is on the team as well. So I, I think if you if you want to narrow it down to one guy specifically on the back end to watch how he handles the challenge, I, I think it's Caleb Jones. I think Evan Bouchard will play games for the Oilers. I, I I talked about this last night on the show. He, right now, he's the number eight defenseman. I, I mentioned the top six. I mentioned Cuckoo. Bouchard's playing with Cuckoo. So that to me, that makes Bouchard the number eight and, and really the number four down the right side. I don't know if he plays right out of the gate, but I think he's the first guy to go in there if they need a right shot defenseman. So three younger guys to keep an eye on who uh, I think are having pretty good camps and all had pretty good moments today in the scrimmage. Okay. I, I want to touch on something else. And I've, I've been talking about this off and on ever since Tyson Berry signed. And that's, that's the Oilers power play. And I, I've never sort of dove into it with as much detail as I wanted to. So I'm going to do that tonight. I'm sure you're thrilled. I'm sure you've been waiting for this moment. So the Oilers power play last year was 29.5%. That's the fourth best power play in the history of the NHL since they started keeping the stat. And I know it doesn't go all the way back through the history of the league, but still, that's a lot of power plays with a lot of teams over a lot of years. And the Oilers have the fourth best power play in the history of the league, 29.5%. I think that I I get the sense when I have talked about the power play in the past, I, I get the sense that most of you are optimistic about it, that it's going to be pretty productive again and certainly be in the top, I don't know, you tell me, top five in the league, top three in the league. Do you think it's going to be number one again? I I think we all kind of agree it's going to be 
very good and very effective and one of the best in the league. I, I know where some people have challenged me and I've raised some eyebrows is when I say it's going to be maybe even better in terms of percentage because that's a pretty gaudy number. But I, I, I want to just flesh this out with, with looking back at some of the other great power plays in the history of the NHL. Now, the best power play ever was the Montreal Canadiens in 77-78. 31.9%. Now, let's, let's zero in on that. So that was the, the season that ended in 1978. So we'll call it the 78 season and use that reference point going forward. In 1978, the Canadians, 31.9%. In 1979, 28.3%. In 1980, 29.1%. So there's a, a run for the Montreal Canadiens of three years where they were over 28% every year. And those are three of the top 10 power plays of all time. The New York Islanders, similar era, 1978, they're 31.4%. 1979, they're 31.2%. Now, in 1980, uh, they were 29, or pardon me, in 1980, they're, they're not as high up on the list. But then in 1981, they're back up to 29.3%. So, of the top 10 power plays of all time, you got three Montreal Canadian teams from the same era, three New York Islanders teams from the same era. Uh, you got an Oilers team in there, uh, and you, you, there's a Flames team in there as well. So what I, the reason I say this about the Oilers is that teams have the, who have exceptional power plays, like high 20s or low 30s in percentage, are generally not a one-and-done with that number. So... You know, in 1978, if we'd been talking about the Montreal Canadiens and I was saying, okay, 31.9%, they're going to be in that neighborhood again, and you would have said, no way. Well, what did they do in 1979? They still came out and were 28.3%, not a huge drop-off. Now, if the Oilers drop off to 27%, I'll be wrong, but it'll still be an incredibly good power play. But that's what I'm just, that's what I'm saying. This is the same power play but improved. And as I've said a million times, that's not a knock on Oscar Clefbaum, but Tyson Berry is a better power play point man than Oscar Clefbaum. He passes the puck better, and he certainly is more of a threat to score. Clefbaum did very well distributing. He was very good at keeping the puck in, and he's a pretty good passer. Berry's even better, and Berry scores more often than Oscar Clefbaum. So that's why I look at 29.5%. And I say to myself, well, it doesn't have to drop down to 24, which would still be a really good power play. This is why I think it can be up there and it can be up there for this year and maybe two or three years to come after this because they have excellent personnel and the, the excellent power plays in the past have stayed up there for a three to five year run. If you zero in on the Canadians of the late seventies and early eighties and the Islanders of the late seventies and early eighties. So once the Oilers have broken through into that stratosphere where they have a top five power play of all time, all the other teams in the top five did it again and again and again. So that's why I think the Oilers can do it again and again and again. And if I'm wrong, we'll never speak. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This again, 780-496-0063. Back after the break. in on the text line says uh 28 to 30 percent this year for the power play in my opinion too big of an expectation to think this year is good or better than last year well zap zap clarify that for me though because they were 29 and a half percent last year so if you're saying they can be 30 percent then you're actually saying they, they you would expect them to be better than last year maybe i'm misreading what you're saying Uh, Robert says, I want to chime in on the power play. I think the Oilers power play might drop off a touch, but I still think it'll be no worse than in the top three. They might miss having Clefbaum back there, but having a right shot quarterback there in Barry will give teams a look they haven't seen with the Oilers. Plus still having the top three and most dynamic power play players in the league will make it just as lethal as last year. Yeah, I think, again, I, I think we all expect it to be pretty good. I, I, I mean, I've yet to see someone write in and say, oh, it's going to be out of the top five. I, I think that'd be a unusual uh prediction to make but but again robert i i think barry is is more than an adequate substitute for cleft bomb and that's it's not a knock on cleft bomb i just think barry can really add something and look we i remember i, I don't remember what year it was but rob and i went through a year on over on overtime open line where everybody wanted to talk about a right shot right shot power play quarterback like this was before mcdavid this was hall nuge and, and everly Right shot power play quarterback, right shot power play quarterback. That's all people wanted. And now they got one. And I feel like, why aren't more people happy about this? This was a huge wish list item for a long time. 780-496-0063. Do we have John on the line? Hey, Reed, how you doing? Good. Just a quick question. I missed your first segment on Dominic Cahoon, and I was just wondering if you had an update on his injury status. Is it long-term, and do you think he's going to be productive this year with the Edmonton Oilers? Well, a lot of my update was that he played today in the scrimmage, John, and he got a really nice assist on a goal by Seth Griffith, and uh, Tippett complimented his vision and his skill, and I made the point that that's something nice to hear about an Oiler who might be a third-liner. I, You know what? He's half a point per game for his career, 68 and 138. I, I think if he jumps in and is around half a point per game and Kyle Turris is around half a point per game and Ennis is there, maybe, maybe, maybe Pugliarvi is there, the Oilers are going to have a lot more depth scoring. So that's how I look at him fitting in. All right, that was John, 7804960063. Yeah, Cahoon did play. The two guys who haven't been on the ice are Neil, James Neal, and Gaetan Haas. And uh, Tippett said he uh, doesn't expect them to be on uh, joining the team for practices and scrimmages and all that kind of, kind of stuff anytime soon. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, Isaac and Darwell. Okay, I'm, I, Isaac. I'm glad you wrote that in. Kellen, get that Bill Daly clip ready. That should be in the in the folder. Uh, okay, I'm just 
I don't want to, and, and Isaac, you, I, I don't know if you're being a little cheeky. Uh, he says, do you think we could trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Dubois? I don't know. I, 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 I know whenever people hear the word trade and Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the same sentence, they get very, very upset. So I don't want to have people uh, climbing over the, the fence of my house and climbing up the walls to get at me here in my office. So I'm just going to leave that one. Number two, do you think the uh, Canadian division will last past this coming year? I don't. Here's Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. I think from a league perspective, um, I, I think uh, I think there's a desire uh, to resume uh, our regular alignment as quickly as we possibly can. You know, I think there are a number of aspects uh, about this season, um, you know, which are unique, but which which add uh, interest and are, are quite compelling. And certainly the all-Canadian division aspect is, is one of those. Um, so I get it. Uh, I, I just think from a league-wide perspective and a, a league perspective, you know, we are one league. Um, you know, we're not... We're not a league that exists north of the border and a league that exists south of the border. And I think um, kind of the integration of franchises, uh, you know, to, to really demonstrate a North American league is, is where we've always been and, and where we want to be. All right. So it's a one and done for the, well, the North division that it's officially being called. It's just for this year because of the pandemic, because of the travel restrictions, the NHL, wants to get back to their uh, regular alignment for next season. But I, I do think this year is going to be fun. So there you go. Okay. Speaking of the North division, been asked a lot. Well, we were talking about this even before the, uh, before the, uh, the divisions were officially named when we thought there was going to be a Canadian division. Who's, who's going to make the playoffs? What, what's the point total going to be? I think the four playoff teams in the North Division, I'll just go west to east, I won't rank them, will be Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Toronto. I, 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 did, some, I did some addition and subtraction and even some division, uh, division as well. It's pretty exciting. Don't worry, I used the calculator. I took the points percentage of the first place team in each division for the last five years. So that's 20 regular season division averages. And I found that the average points percentage was 666. So basically, the average division winner gets two-thirds of its points over the course of a season. If that happens in the Canadian division this year, that is 74 points in 56 games. I think it's going to be really tight. I don't think that the first place team in the North division will get two thirds of its points. I think if you get to 70, you probably finish first in the division, the playoff cut line in the NHL, again, applying averages and speaking in general generalities, usually you have to have a 550 points percentage to be in the playoffs. You can find years where it was 525, 530 for the last playoff team. You can find years you had to have a 570 or a 580. Generally, if you get 55% of your points, so 11 out of every 20 available, you will get in the playoffs. Over 56 games, that would be 62 points. I think it's going to be that close. I think the first place team in the North probably gets to 70. 
and I think the fourth place team is probably at 62. So we're looking at maybe going 32, 18, and six to finish first, going 28, 22, and six to, to finish fourth. Yeah, I, if you win 30 games out of 56, I would say you're in the playoffs for sure. I, I would put that as a target win. And I really think even if you get to 28, I, I would think even if you get to 28 wins and have enough overtime losses, you got a pretty good chance of squeaking into fourth. I think it's going to be tight. I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. I, I've talked before, but somebody made this prediction that the Leafs would go 42-8-6. and six. Like, come on. It's it's hard to win 42 out of 82. Sometimes you make the playoffs winning 39 or 40. I don't think any, anybody's winning 42 out of 56 playing the same opponents, grinding away against them all year long. So those are some, those are some point totals to keep in mind, some win totals. I, I think if you win 30 in the North, you are in the postseason for sure. I, I think if you are getting up around 32, Two, 33, 34 wins, you're probably going to finish first. I, I think if somebody gets to 35 or 36 wins, you're in first place. I mean, if somebody wins 36 games, that's, that's you know, 36, 14, and 6. That's an, that's an outstanding that's an outstanding season. That's on pace for well over 100 points if you play the full 82. So just some numbers to remember there. That's why I think the power play can be just as good or better. And that's how I the, the point totals, I think, are realistic in the North Division. Uh, this texture says any update on Broberg is he in camp uh, he went to Sweden he's not in camp he's playing in in, uh, in Sweden so that is the update on Philip Broberg 780-496-0063 I got a couple people wishing me uh, Merry Ukrainian Christmas I'm going to try this my mom spelled it out phonetically for me Christos Rodivsha I hope I said that properly mom and anybody who speaks the Ukrainian language out there? Feel free to free free to correct me. My Ukrainian's not great. We're gonna go to Ottawa. How good can the Senators be? How competitive can they be? Gord Wilson is coming up after the news. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.